Amen. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 14, we'll be continuing in this great chapter of John's Gospel this morning. I feel like I say this after almost every chapter, but (laughs) as we're going through, I just find that whatever chapter we're in to be my new favorite chapter of John's Gospel. I, to, to be honest, was not very familiar with John chapter 14 until we came to this point, you know, the nuances of it, the, the historical understanding of it. And as we've gone through, it's just been such a joy to go through. And we see these beautiful promises that our Lord is articulating, promises of the Spirit, promises of love for Christ and obedience to His commands, promises that the Father and the Son and the Spirit will dwell with God's people forever. They will manifest themselves to His people and they will make their home, their dwelling place with them. And these are the things that we've been speaking about in these last couple weeks in this upper room discourse as our Lord is preparing his disciples for his coming departure, for his coming crucifixion and his coming ascension where he will depart from them bodily. But In the midst of this, we've seen Jesus promising, assuring his disciples, coming to them and saying, do not be troubled, do not be afraid, even though it will appear as if I'm leaving you, I will not forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans that the triune God promises to dwell with his people, not only in the future, right, in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity, but as we saw last week, even now by His Spirit. That even though Christ will ultimately depart from His disciples bodily, as we've said so many times, He will not be absent from them for a moment. He and the Father will send the Spirit, the great comforter of Christ's church, leading them into all truth, causing them to love Him and keep His word and to be present with His people even till the end of the age. But what we're going to see this morning in our passage is that the Spirit, this one that our Lord has been speaking about, is not only the great comforter of Christ's church, but He is also the great teacher who illumines Christ's words to His people. He is not only the great comforter of Christ's people, but the great teacher that illumines Christ's words to his people. And that the work of the Spirit in sovereignly and graciously teaching Christ's people is not only found in the inspiration of the New Testament, as we'll see, but in the effectual application of salvation to all of God's people as we'll see this morning, bringing them to this saving knowledge of Christ that we've just spoken about. And we'll also see in our passage that this promise of Christ is a promise of His peace with His people. That to know the Lord, to be taught by the Spirit, is to experience the peace that only Christ can give, that the world cannot give, and this is a great comfort to God's people. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word. I'll begin at verse 25. This is the Word of the Lord. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. 
but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, that you have given it to us, your people, the only means by which we could know your plan of salvation revealed to us in the fullness of time in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, promised in the Old Testament and fulfilled in his finished work in the new. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we come to your word, that we would indeed be taught by the Spirit this morning, that we would indeed know all the things concerning our salvation. And we know, Lord, that you promise these things in your word. And so we pray this morning that you would illumine the eyes of our hearts this morning, that we might see and understand the things of Christ and the things of the gospel. And that as we come this morning and to see your word, that we would rest on your word, not as the mere words of men, but as what they truly are, the word of the living God. Help us this morning in our weakness to see and understand these things and give us strength, Lord, by your Spirit to trust and rest in Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at two different things this morning. We're going to break our passage up into two different parts. We're going to see first in verses 25 through 26, the teaching of the Spirit. The teaching of the Spirit. And secondly, in verse 27, we'll look at the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ. As we've said, we see that even though Christ is about to depart from his disciples, even though he is about to leave them bodily, he does not leave his disciples without encouragement and comfort. He's been speaking about these things throughout this upper room discourse, coming to them saying, do not be troubled, and giving them promises, giving them encouragement, giving them comfort. And that even though he will depart from them in one sense as their physical rabbi and teacher, we see in our passage this morning that Christ will continue to teach and to speak to his disciples even after his ascension, in and by the teaching of the Spirit. That Christ will make provision for his disciples even after he leaves them. And that the Spirit will not only comfort them, dwelling in them and assuring them of their salvation, but teaching them, as we find in our passage this morning, all things and bringing to their remembrance all that Christ has commanded. We see this stated in verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And we see this sort of contrast. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, but the Spirit will teach you all things. 
that because Christ is going to the cross, he is going to suffer for the sin of his people. He is going to accomplish redemption and ascend to the Father. His time with his disciples, at least bodily, is limited, right? He only has a, a few more hours with them before he will leave them. And he cannot remain with them forever in this sense. But we see that the Spirit whom the Father will send in the Son's name, this great Trinitarian work and unity, this Spirit will remain with them forever. He will teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that Christ had said. I love what Augustine said, just to keep it really simple for us this morning. He said, the Son speaks and the Spirit teaches. (laughs) The Son speaks and the Spirit teaches. The divine Word, the Logos, speaks and the divine Spirit teaches and illuminates. That this is the proper work and office of the Holy Spirit promised by our Lord. His work is to teach. His work is to instruct, to remind, to illumine, to explain all the things which Christ had said, taking the things of Christ and bringing them to his people, enlightening their understanding to the things that Christ had spoken about, instructing them in all things necessary for salvation, sovereignly and graciously teaching Christ's people. But the question is, who does this apply to? Who does this promise in verse 26 apply to who are the recipients of this teaching. And it's very important for us to look at this more closely this morning. What does it mean when Jesus says, and he will teach you all things? The first thing we need to see this morning is that first and foremost, this promise is fulfilled in the apostles and in the inspiration of the New Testament. First and foremost, this, is, this promise is fulfilled in the apostles and the inspiration of the New Testament. That Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, to the apostles who were gathered around him. They, these are the same people that would write what we call the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, or they would be um, commissioned by the apostles. And this passage that we find here is not a proof text for private revelations. It's not a proof text for hearing audibly from God or secret utterances of the Spirit. In fact, we find that it's the exact opposite. This passage is first and foremost about the sufficiency and the inspiration of God's holy word in the New Testament. That at the time of Christ speaking these words in John 14, there was no such thing as John 14. (laughs) It's kind of interesting to think about, right? When Jesus spoke these words in the upper room, there's no New Testament, there's no Gospel of John, there's no John 14. These things had not been written. There was only the Old Testament Scriptures, the promises of Christ to come found in the Law and the Prophets and the Book of Psalms. But our Lord here promises that the Holy Spirit, the same one who inspired the Old Testament, will perfectly and infallibly remind his disciples of all that Christ had spoken. 
in the inspiration and the inscripturation of the New Testament. And this is such an important thing for us to consider this morning because there are many in our day who would seek to undermine the biblical doctrine of the inspiration and the sufficiency of Scripture. There are many who would seek to undermine the biblical doctrine of inspiration and the sufficiency of Scripture that would deny that God is able to speak perfectly and infallibly through His Word. Maybe you've heard people say things like this. The disciples, they were sinful, right? They, you acknowledge that. They were fallible human beings. There's no way that Scripture does not contain some sort of error, some sort of contradiction. Surely there has to be some sort of error, some sort of contradiction found in the Scriptures. Or maybe they'll say something like this, the Bible might be good teaching, it might be good moral instruction, but there's no way that it is actually God's Word. There's no way that it's actually divine revelation. Or we could say it like this, how would these disciples, who are merely human, speak for God? How could they speak forth God's Word perfectly and infallibly? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The answer is God Himself speaking through His people. The inspiration and teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus says. That the Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. This is not a difficult thing for the Creator of the universe. This is not something hard for God to do, to speak through His instruments perfectly teaching the disciples. This is not difficult for our Lord. I told my kids this morning, again, we'd have another catechism question, right? One of the children's catechisms is, who wrote the Bible? Do you remember, Mabel? (laughs) Holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, right? Holy men who were taught. John 26, or John 14, 26, holy men who were taught, I will teach you all things. Holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, did indeed inspire the inspiration and the writing of the New Testament perfectly and infallibly, not only without error, but unable to err perfectly teaching his disciples and bringing to their remembrance all that Christ had said, speaking through his appointed apostles to his church. And as we read in places like 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God. It is God breathed. I love what B.B. Warfield said, The Bible is the Word of God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. (laughs) The Bible is the Word of God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And we see that very much in our passage. The Spirit teaching Christ's disciples, speaking to them, reminding them of all that Christ had said. And so we see this promise of our Lord fulfilled in the apostles and the inspiration of the New Testament. 
But we also need to see this morning that there's a second layer to this promise. There's a second layer to this um, fulfillment that we see in John 14, 26. Because what we also need to see this morning is that this promise is also fulfilled in all of God's people in the promises of the new covenant. This promise is fulfilled in all of God's people in the promises of the new covenant. What do I mean? That these ideas that we see cited in our passage this morning are not new. They're not new concepts to Holy Scripture. These ideas of God sovereignly and effectually teaching His people, bringing them to a saving knowledge of Himself by the Spirit so that they might know Him and they might have peace. These are not new. John 14 is not the first time these concepts are enumerated on in Holy Scripture. In fact, they're promised in the Old Testament, in these great promises of the new covenant. We read them this morning in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. That in this promise of the new covenant, what does it say? If you have your handout, you should look there. He says that no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. That's very interesting. You go to places like Isaiah 54, verse 13, the Lord, Yahweh, is speaking to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And there he says that all your children, the children of the servant, will be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. (laughs) So we see these ideas repeated. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor, but they'll all know the Lord. In Isaiah 54, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and they will have peace. And you go to places like Ezekiel 36, where we see again this promise of the new covenant. Ezekiel 37, what does it say? I will put my spirit within you. And then he later goes on in Ezekiel 37 to talk about that I will make a covenant of peace with you, and I will dwell with you. These are all things that are found in John chapter 14. (laughs) God dwelling with His people. The promise of the Spirit with His people. Being taught by God Himself in the promise of the Spirit and the peace that we see promised in our passage. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, Kendall, what does this mean? (laughs) What are you talking about? But what we see is that the Old Testament looked forward to a day when God would make a new covenant, a covenant of peace with His people. And that in this covenant, this covenant of grace, all of God's children will know the Lord truly and savingly because they will be taught by the Lord Himself. They will be taught by the Spirit and they will experience His promised peace. And we see these glorious promises of the new covenant in our passage. 
And what's so amazing about our passage is that Christ is speaking about these realities. He is speaking about these things, these promises that we find in John chapter 14. That all of God's people will be taught by the Spirit sovereignly and effectually. That all the the people in this covenant will be brought to a saving knowledge of Christ and the Spirit will teach them all things concerning salvation. And that all in this covenant will experience Christ's peace. These are all blessings of God's work of salvation in the covenant of grace. Promised in the Old Testament and experienced by Old Testament saints, but ultimately fulfilled in Christ and in His finished work and accomplished in the new covenant. And we've seen this all over John chapter 14. Verse 23 says, God will dwell with His people. Verse 15 says, talks about God writing His law upon our hearts. We see in our passage this morning that the Spirit will teach them that they will be brought to this saving knowledge of God and of salvation. And that He will give them, we saw promised in the Old Testament, this covenant of peace. And so we see that this promise of this teaching of Christ, this sovereign working of God in effectually bringing His people to salvation is directly connected to our Lord's words in verse 27 and this promise of Christ's peace with His people. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. That we see in verse 27, this great promise and some of these great words of our Lord. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That Christ promises here not a generic peace, not a superficial peace, but His peace and a peace that is only for his covenant people. And that, as we saw in the Old Testament, this is actually one of the blessings of this covenant is peace. Peace not only with God, but peace with one another. Peace and rest in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Peace of conscience flowing from our justification and our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is the peace that only Christ can give. This is the peace that only believers can experience. Because as we see in our passage, the world is totally and completely unable to give this kind of peace. The world is completely and totally unable to give this kind of peace. But we know too well that the world will indeed try to offer false peace that resembles the peace that Christ talks about. The world will indeed offer us peace in many forms, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace to be found, right? And we can think of big ways that the world does this, right? The world lies to us. The world tells us 
drugs, sex, pleasure. This will give us peace. This will give us lasting satisfaction. This will give us what we need. Autonomy of self, right? To be your own individual person, this will bring you peace. Just do whatever you want to do. This is what the world tells us, trying to get us to believe that doing these things, following our flesh, will ultimately bring us peace. But I think there's ways that this can even hit closer to home for some of us, right? Maybe we're not tempted by drugs and sex and all these things. Maybe the, the, the peace that the world offers us is this false peace of separation from the world, right? If I can just separate myself from the world, if I just don't have to deal with unbelievers at all, then I'll have peace. This sort of monasticism, right? Or maybe it's comfort and ease. If I can just be comfortable, if I can just have all my needs met, then I will have true peace. Maybe it's compromising the truth in our doctrine, right? Maybe it's fearing man. Maybe it's sin in our life that we're compromising as well. All these things are the ways the world seeks to offer us peace. But as we see in our passage, the peace that the world offers is temporary, it is momentary, and it is a fleeting peace that fades away. But the peace that our Lord describes in verse 27, the peace that Christ offers that only Christ can give, we see is totally different. (laughs) It is not temporary, it is eternal. It is not momentary, it is lasting. It is not fleeting, but it will last forever because it is as sovereignly administered by God and has been covenantally guaranteed by Christ. And that's why Jesus can so, so boldly say at the end of verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid, dear Christian. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be troubled. As we've said so many times, Christ was troubled, right? So that we might not be. He was afflicted so that we might have peace. And Christ in the gospel has purchased our peace, our peace with God, our peace with one another by His blood. He has reconciled us to God by faith where before there was only enmity and strife Christ has purchased peace. And we see in our passage, He has given us His Spirit, reminding us of Christ's Word and the promises that He has given us in His Word. And this is why it's so amazing that Jesus can say at the end of the Upper Room Discourse, in John 16, verse 33, He can say, I have said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That it is only in Christ that we can have peace and salvation. And it is only in knowing Christ and being taught by the Spirit that we have confidence before God and truth to be found in His Word. And so as we step back from this passage this morning and we seek to try to apply this passage to our lives this morning, there's two things we need to see. The first of them is this. We see in this passage and refer to in this passage the sufficiency and the inerrancy of God's Word. The sufficiency and the inerrancy 
of God's word. That God has indeed spoken to us in scripture. That God has indeed spoken to us in his word. The Holy Spirit has sovereignly inspired all of Holy Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. And we believe that God's Word is not only infallible, but it is sufficient for us. It is complete. It is enough, right? That this passage gives us great confidence in the divine authority and sovereign inspiration of God's Word. That God has indeed spoken to us in these last days, as Hebrews 1.1 says. That He's spoken to us by His Son, through His Spirit, and in His Word. He's spoken to us by His Son, through His Spirit, in His Word. And that His Word is indeed sufficient. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to seek after new words. We don't need to seek after private, secret revelations of the Spirit. We need Christ's Word illumined to us. We need His words that He has spoken brought to our remembrance. Or we could say it like this, we don't need new revelation, we need divine illumination. And it's fascinating, all the old commentators, right, were picking up on this, that Jesus doesn't say, I will remind you of all that I will say, but all that I have said. That it is not of what Christ will say in the future that we need reminded of, it is what he has said in his word. And we sang about that this morning in this great song, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. And then I love what it says. What more could he say? Right? What more could God say to us than he's already said? And the answer is nothing. But we need his word illumined to us as we seek to understand and know Christ as he's revealed and spoken to us in his word. We need the spirit to remind us and illumine to us all that Christ has said. But we also see this morning how this promise of the Spirit is connected to these great promises and blessings of the new covenant. And that leads us to our second point of application this morning, the promises of the new covenant. The promises of the new covenant. That these blessings of the new covenant promised in the Old Testament and proclaimed here by Christ in John 14 are true of all of God's people. These blessings promised in the Old Testament and proclaimed by Christ in John 14 are true of all of God's people, both Old Testament and New Testament. That unlike the Old Covenant that the people of Israel broke, in this covenant, this covenant of grace, all of God's people will know the Lord. Not just externally, but as we saw in our passage, truly and savingly. The fancy word is effectually, right? That the Spirit will indeed teach His people. That all will be taught by the Lord in this covenant, by the Spirit, and they all will have peace. 
And what's so amazing about Scripture as you go to places like Hebrews 11 and you see these saints in the Old Testament, we're reminded that these realities were experienced retroactively by the saints in the Old Testament. They had the Spirit. They knew the Lord. They were taught by God, just as you and I are. And we too, in the New Covenant, experience these realities this side of the cross. It actually affects a lot of what we believe about the doctrine of the church, right? It affects what we believe about the New Covenant community, that it is to be made up of those that have experienced this reality, this teaching of the Spirit, and have evidenced it in their lives. This is why John can say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, he's speaking to believers, he's speaking to the church, he says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, by the Spirit, and you know all things. <laughs> have you ever tripped over that passage? What? What do you mean I know all things about math and science and you know, philosophy? No, all things concerning salvation. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. What? <laughs> we don't need teachers. We don't need pastors. We don't need elders. John is just throwing out the whole structure of the New Testament church. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is these promises of Jeremiah 31. When no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. That all in the covenant of grace have the Spirit and know the Lord. And the promise that the Spirit will teach them all things concerning their salvation. There's no secret knowledge out there. There's no secret revelation about salvation that believers might miss and they might perish if they don't know this secret information. The Spirit will teach His people all things concerning their salvation. That all in this covenant, we also see in our passage, will have the peace of Christ. They will experience the blessing of Christ's peace. These benefits that we've spoken about that flow from their justification and adoption into the family of God. That because of the Spirit's effectual work in us, illuminating our hearts, and Christ justifying and sanctifying us in His work of salvation, we have peace. And we can say that with confidence. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. And Christ promises His people this peace. Why? Because He's the Prince of Peace. And He is the one that is able to bring rest to the weary souls of His people. That He gives us His peace as a gift and blessing of this covenant of peace. It's been earned by Him, and it's only found in His finished work. And maybe you're thinking to yourself this morning or contemplating these things, and maybe the question that is running by your mind this morning is, I'm not experiencing this peace. I'm not experiencing this peace that you've spoken about. This peace that you've mentioned feels far from me. It doesn't feel near. And the truth is, if you are an unbeliever this morning, if, or if you do not know the Lord, then you cannot experience this peace. That the world and its system cannot bring this peace. 
It is only found in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not been born again by the Spirit, taught savingly by the Spirit, then this peace will be fleeting. (laughs) It will not last. It is not possible. And so the call this morning, if you do not know this peace, and if you do not know Christ, is to come to Him. (laughs) He brings peace to His people. He promises peace to His people. And He alone can bring lasting and sustaining peace that the world cannot give. But maybe you're a believer this morning, and you say, I know Christ, I trust in Him, but I am not experiencing this peace. I know the Lord, I put my faith in Him, I trust in Him, but I'm not experiencing this kind of peace this morning. It seems fleeting. In fact, it's causing me to question my salvation. I don't feel peace, I feel the opposite of peace. I feel turmoil, I feel fear, I feel dread, worry, and anxiety. And if that's you this morning, then the call is to remember the promises of Christ. It's to remember the gospel. It's really the same application. It is to remember the promises of the gospel. What does Paul say in Romans 5.1? Therefore, having been justified by faith and faith alone, we have peace with God. That is not based on our works or our merit that we have peace with God, but is the justifying work of Christ. And as we're struggling through these times of fear or worry and anxiety, we can go to the Lord in prayer and lean upon Him, asking for help by the Spirit. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that the peace that Christ gives, that the peace that God gives surpasses understanding. (laughs) And we've all had those moments where we feel this peace, where we experience this peace. It's unexplainable. No one can understand how someone could experience peace in this moment, and yet the Lord graciously gives us peace that surpasses understanding. And so we can have confidence this morning that Christ will indeed give His people peace, a peace that lasts despite our circumstances, despite what we're going through in this life, Christ will give us His peace and He will sustain us by it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. Christ has given us His peace in the covenant of grace. He has given us His Spirit, producing in us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And as we read in Ephesians 2, he even preaches peace to us even now as the gospel is proclaimed. He himself is our peace, and we look forward, as we sang, to peace forevermore with him. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your peace. Shalom. Rest. A peace that the world cannot give. And this morning, Lord, we find ourselves in many 
places. And for many of us, we probably fail to experience this peace regularly. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we are reminded of the promises of the gospel, as we are reminded of what Christ has done to us, as we come to you even now in prayer, we pray that you would give us this peace, that you would guard our hearts and our minds as we seek to live in this sinful and fallen world that offers us peace in everything except in Christ. And so we pray this morning that we would come to rest on your word, that we would know that you have spoken to us. We can trust your word. It is sufficient for us this morning. And we can come to you knowing that we have peace in the gospel. Peace with God and peace with one another. Peace of conscience, peace and rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us this morning to trust in these things and give us strength to rely on you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.